faces, I wouldn't say new faces, but faces that haven't been seen in quite a while. We're really, really glad that you've come to be with us. It's kind of like a joyful reunion, just um, just coming to services each week, because every single week we see people that have been, because of health concerns, have been uh, shut in and, and are now, because of vaccines and because of, of things that are progressing in our, in our society around us, they're able to be back with us, and we're really thankful for your presence. We also have a number of visitors with us this morning. Welcome. We're thankful that you're with us, and we hope and pray that that as you worship with us, if you have questions about what we're doing or why or anything that you've heard said, ask somebody because we'd love nothing more than the opportunity to open up God's word and to share with you and to, and to help you see this is what we want to be as the people who worship here in Katy. We want to be people who are Bible-based and God-centered in all that we do. And we'd like for the opportunity to talk with you about that. But thank you for being with us if you're visiting with us this morning. Christianity is a religion that has a hope, and that hope is something that is in the future, and it's something that we look forward to, and the hope of Christianity, mark it down, is that there will be a resurrection of the dead, that one day in the future, everybody who has ever died, everybody who's ever lived on this planet will come out of their grave and that we will see those who have died again. The resurrection of the dead. And that's something that when you stop and think about it, just from a, a human being perspective, that's something that people in every culture, and no matter what religious background they're from, that's something everybody thinks about. What happens after we die? Is there a resurrection of the dead? Are, are people going to return? Is there any hope in the future for those who have gone on? The wise man put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He said that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. That is, people want to know that there's something more than just this life. They want to know that there's something more than just the here and now. And especially when we look at the process of death taking place. We want to know that there's hope. And what I'm saying this morning is that the hope of Christianity is that the dead will rise one day. That's what the Bible indicates will happen. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you find passages like this. Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand. He will stand upon the earth one day. I know that my Redeemer lives. There's something after this life is over. Daniel spoke about the resurrection of the dead in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. How those who have died, have perished, will rise again and will shine. There's something about the resurrection of the dead that people have always looked forward to. And when Jesus came to earth, Jesus spent time teaching people that the dead are going to rise one day. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear my voice and will rise, those who have done well, righteously, to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. The dead will rise one day, Jesus taught. 
The Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 and he spoke to Greek philosophers who did not believe that there was anything after this life. They thought, these Greek philosophers, that this life is all you've got and so they were making their decisions based on we got one life to live and we got a limited amount of time and nothing happens once we die. And when Paul was preaching to them, he talked to them about the unknown God in Acts chapter 17. And then the conclusion of his sermon was this. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and he has given a guarantee that that day will happen by raising his son from the dead. Acts 17 verses 30 and 31. People in the early church, they preached without apology, without any kind of hesitation that the dead were going to rise. And it didn't matter what culture they were talking to and it didn't matter what belief system the people that they were communicating with held. They talked about the hope of Christianity that the dead will rise one day. And brothers and sisters and friends, that's the same hope that you and I can have today. That there will be a resurrection of the dead. That everybody's going to be somewhere forever. Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to notice, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to people who were kind of questioning. They were Christians, but they were kind of questioning whether the dead would ever rise. In fact, some within the church were teaching that that wasn't going to happen. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, notice verse 12. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, Paul's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus came and he died and he was buried and he was raised. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, Paul writes... If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you, church, are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? And what he does in verses 13 through 19, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, is he asks this question, what if there's no resurrection? Just just as a hypothetical, Paul says, What if there is no resurrection of the dead? What are the consequences of that? Can we still be Christians? Can we still live a life that pleases God? Can we still do the things that Christians do and live the Christian life? And does it mean something if there's no resurrection? That's the question. He's essentially playing what if. What if there's no resurrection of the dead? And what I want us to do with our study this morning is this. I want us to think about very carefully the consequences that are set forth in this passage. As you're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 13, notice there are seven devastating effects, seven consequences that fall if there is no resurrection. If the dead aren't going to be raised one day, here's what happens. Number one, as you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 and 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. That's what the passage says, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. We're claiming and we're preaching that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and was raised on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4. But if there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, what does that mean for Jesus? If the dead do not rise, then Jesus is not risen. Who can believe that? Who can buy that? Especially when you think about the evidence that's found throughout Scripture. In Romans 1 verses 3 and 4, 
The scripture says that Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is not the son of God, according to Romans 1, verses 3 and 4. But it's even more significant than that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says that Jesus, after he had died and was buried and was raised, that for 40 days he presented himself alive with many infallible proofs. He presented himself to people that knew him and people that would tell about him he presented himself as being risen from the dead and people went around preaching that and all you had to do in the first century to devastate the christian teaching and christian doctrine all anybody had to do was go and dig up the body of jesus that's all they had to do but nobody could do it because he was risen from the dead an empty tomb was there and through many infallible proofs he was proving that he had risen indeed And again in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, when the apostles were working with the early church, the scripture says that with great power, they gave evidence of his resurrection. They did miracles. They raised the dead. They healed the sick. They caused the blind to see. And when those things happened, the apostles would look at their audience and they would say, you see, this power that we manifest proves that Jesus is risen because he's the one that's doing this. But if there's no resurrection, Paul argues, then of course Christ is not risen. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 and 13. But then there's another domino that falls. As you continue in the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, notice verse 14 says, If Jesus hasn't risen, then your preaching is empty and hollow. We might as well just be giving positive you know, positive talks that just kind of build people up. There's no substance to it. There's, there's nothing really behind it. We're just saying some things. This is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to do. But it's all empty and it's all hollow. That's certainly not the way the Bible speaks about preaching. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. There's something about the gospel message, the message about what Jesus has done for us that's powerful, that's life-changing, that cuts people to the heart and causes them to respond one way or another to what God has done for them in Christ. It's not empty. It's not hollow. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, it's through the message that is preached that God has chosen to save people. In Romans 1, verse 16, the scripture says that God's gospel is his power to save. People hear about God and they learn about what they need to do to please God by the preaching of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with its implications for our lives. But if Jesus hasn't risen... Then the passage says in 1 Corinthians 15 that what we're saying, what we're preaching, it's empty, it's hollow. Who can believe that? Most of the people I'm speaking to this morning have responded to the gospel. Can you really believe that what you responded to is empty and that it's hollow and that it's vain? The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that works in those who preach. Ephesians 1 verses 19 through 21. What are the implications? It's like dominoes. If if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus is not risen. And if he's not risen, then your preaching is empty, number two. And then number three, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Your faith is empty. Everything you've ever believed 
about God and about his son and about what Jesus has come to do, it's all empty. It's all hollow. The Bible doesn't speak about faith that way. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is about stuff you can't see. It's about things that are real, even though with your eyes you can't look upon them. And faith is saying, I believe that God is telling me the truth. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word, Romans 10, verse 17. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is empty and the faith that comes from preaching God's word is just as empty. In other words, we're following a bunch of lies, a bunch of things that are not of profit. What are we even doing here this morning? If there's no resurrection of the dead, if that's not going to happen one day, these things start to follow logically from that. Number four, if there's no resurrection from the dead, it's not just that the the message we're preaching is empty, but we're actually liars. And not only us, but some very important people in the past are liars. God said, as one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 16. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. But if there's no resurrection, guess who's a liar? Jesus. Because when Jesus came without shame and without apology, Jesus said, there's a day coming when everybody who has ever lived and died will rise again. John 5, verse 28 and 29. Either Jesus was telling the truth or he wasn't. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus is a liar. Not only Christ, but Peter on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 32, he preached that Jesus could not be held by death. He preached that Jesus was going to rise, that he had risen. And the prophecies of the Old Testament confirmed that. And not just Peter, but the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. He told people that there's a day appointed when God will judge the world and God raised his son from the dead. Who can believe this? Jesus is a liar. Paul is a liar. The Apostle Peter is a liar. And we are liars even today if there's no resurrection of the dead. Who can believe such a thing? As you continue looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, like dominoes falling one after the other, what are the consequences if there's no resurrection of the dead? More serious even than being a liar is this. If there's not going to be a resurrection one day, then you and I are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16. Listen to the logic. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is empty. You are still in your sins. Even now, the things that we've been thanking God for this morning in observing the Lord's Supper and thinking about the sacrifice and the cleansing that we can receive through what Jesus did at the cross, all of that is false. And we're still sinners. And we're still condemned before God if there's no resurrection. What all this is intended to tell us, brothers and sisters and friends, is this. 
the resurrection of the dead is the linchpin when it comes to what New Testament teaching is bringing us, is sharing with us, is telling us about the future. If the resurrection of the dead is not true, if it's not true that people are going to rise from the dead one day, then none of these other things are true either. And we're still in our sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7 promises us that we have cleansing, we have the redemption of our sins by the blood of Christ. But if there's no resurrection, there's no redemption, there's no cleansing. Romans 4 verse 25 is an interesting passage because the Bible tells us that Jesus was not just crucified for us. Romans 4.25 says that he was raised for our justification. I've always found that passage fascinating. The Bible says that it's not just the death of Jesus that justifies us, but it's his resurrection that justifies us as well. It's all of it. He died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day so that we can have cleansing, we can have forgiveness. Romans 6 verse 5 talks about baptism. And it says that when we're baptized, we get into the water back there and we say, I want to appeal to God for salvation. We confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We die to our sins. We are buried in that water with Jesus and we are raised with him to walk in newness of life. Think about this. Baptism is a reenactment, a connection with what Jesus did in dying for us, in being buried for us, and in being raised for us. And we walk in newness of life because of the fact that Jesus walks in newness of life as well. But if there's no resurrection, we're still sinners. We're still lost. The Apostle Paul continues, more consequences. If there is no resurrection, the righteous dead have perished. Our loved ones... The people that we have known and worked with over the years that were New Testament Christians, when they died, that was it. That was the end. There's nothing for them to look forward to. They lived a life of suffering, a life of sacrifice, a life of service to Jesus Christ. And now that they're gone, there's nothing else. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 18 is saying. Look at the passage. Also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if there's no resurrection, if it's not true. The Bible is full of promises, though, in the face of death. Think about this. Every preacher, when he has to preach a funeral, has a number of passages that just automatically come to mind. That automatically, and and most of us who have been to a funeral, uh, a number of funerals, we've, we've thought about these passages over the years. Passages like Revelation 14, verse 13, where the Bible makes a promise. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Think about that. They're blessed. Why are they blessed? If there's not going to be a resurrection, if they're not coming back, why are they blessed? That's Paul's logic in 1 Corinthians 15. In Philippians 1, verses 21 through 23, Paul says... For to me, to live is Christ, and then listen to this, and to die is gain. Why did he say that? Because he knew that Jesus is risen, and he knew that that is a guarantee that there's going to be a general resurrection of the dead one day. To die is gain. And he goes on to say, to depart and to be with Christ is far better than to stay here 
But that's not true if there's no resurrection. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in his sight is the death of his saints, those who are holy, those who love him, those who serve him. It's precious. Why? Because it's an end of their suffering. It's an end of their misery. It's an end of their poverty. It's an end of their struggle. And there's nothing but hope and blessedness left for those who die in the Lord. That's why. But if there's no resurrection, none of those things are true. If there's no resurrection, the righteous dead have perished. And what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4 is absolutely false. Paul talks about the day when Jesus returns in that passage. And he says, there's going to be the sound of a trumpet and the voice, a shout like the archangel. And Jesus himself is going to descend from heaven. heaven, And he's going to bring with him those who sleep in the Lord. And the dead in Christ, Paul says, are going to rise first on that day. And then those who remain, those of us who are still alive, when Jesus returns, are going to be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And the last verse there in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18 says, Therefore, brethren, comfort one another with these words. So we're supposed to tell each other, according to that passage, about the resurrection day. We're supposed to talk about how one day all of us are going to see each other again. Those who have died in the Lord, we're going to be reunited with the Lord. And there's comfort to be found in that. But if there's no resurrection, the righteous dead have perished. And then there's this. As you look at 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 19, the conclusion of it all, according to the Apostle Paul, is if there is no resurrection, if that's not going to happen, if that's not true, then we Christians are of all men most miserable, most to be pitied, You see, Christianity is kind of, if there's nothing after this life, if there's nothing after we die, Christianity is a hoax, number one, but it's also a miserable, miserable way to live. Because why would you subject yourself to all this torment and difficulty and suffering? Why would you do these things if there's nothing after this life? Jesus described discipleship this way. He said, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He's inviting us to come and to die with him. Take up your cross and follow me. Take on the burdens that come with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who would do that if there's nothing after this life? In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all who would live righteous in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It doesn't mean that we have a persecution complex. It doesn't mean that we're looking for it or trying to play victim all the time. That's not what that passage means. It does mean that it's not easy all the time to live as a Christian. Why would you do it if it's a lie? Why would you put up with it if there's nothing after you die? If there's nothing after this life is over? Why would you go through all that? Aren't there enough problems in your life already? In Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus argued that when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, we are blessed because great is our reward in heaven. That's his logic. Our reward in heaven is great because of these difficult things that we endure for the Lord's sake. But Paul says, no, if you endure those things and there's no hope after this life, we are of all men most to be pitied, most miserable. 
And if there's no resurrection of the dead, we would do well to just close the doors, sell the building, and quit meeting altogether if there's no resurrection. But you see, there's good news to all this. Having played what if, and don't start folding your sheets just yet. I know that's the end of the notes. I get that. (laughs) But I want to turn this around for just a minute. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. After having contemplated all those things, those horrible consequences, and what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to say, look, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is so critically important that you cannot take it out and say that it's not important, that it's not going to happen. You can't do that and still have Christ and the gospel and forgiveness and all the things that Christianity promises. You can't have those things. But now, verse 20, Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What that means is that Jesus is the very first in a long line of people who are going to rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and that means that everybody else who has ever died is going to rise from the dead one day. And you can go right back up this list that we just made, and you can think about it this way. Because Christ has risen preaching about his death, burial, and resurrection is profitable. People need to hear the old, old story about what Jesus has done and about how you can come to God and have forgiveness through him. There's profit in this. There is value in this. It will enrich your life. It will save your very soul. There is profit in preaching because Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, our faith has substance. When you believe these things and you live these things, it makes a difference. It will change your life. It will change your relationships with other people. And most importantly, it will change your relationships before Almighty God. There is substance to believing in the truths and embracing and following the doctrines of New Testament Christianity. Because Christ has risen, what we're saying is the truth. There are a lot of people that are telling lies in the world around us. How do I know what's a lie and how do I know what's the truth? I can turn to the pages of Scripture and I can always know that the sum of God's Word is truth. John 17, verse 17. Everything He says is absolutely right. And we're telling the truth when we speak from God's Word, which is all we're trying to do as a congregation of God's people. Titus chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 talks about a God who cannot lie. And as people who serve him, we want to speak his words. Because Christ is risen from the dead, brethren, sins have been forgiven. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can know with a surety, without a doubt. We don't have to think about whether or not we have just a a chance or an opportunity of salvation. We can know without a doubt that we are in right relationship with God because Jesus is risen. You go backwards up this list, the dead live on. Every time we've ever preached a funeral... You think about someone and you look at their body that's left behind and that's just the shell of them. That's not who their essence is. We are a soul residing in a body. And Jesus said, what would you give in exchange for your soul? What would it profit if you gained the whole world and, and lost your soul? Mark 8, 36 and 37. Because when you leave this life, when you die, you still keep on living because Jesus is risen. And because Jesus has risen, we are of all men most blessed. Christianity is 
the hardest life. It is the holiest life. And it is also the happiest life. Because of the promises that God has given to us. And because of the future and the hope that God has offered. And all we have to do is humble ourselves and say to God, God, I'm going to serve you with my entire life. I'm going to organize and center my entire life around you and around what your word teaches, and I'm going to bless your people. That's what I want. You do those things, and God says, welcome home. I want to tell you about the future that I have in store for you. I want to tell you about what's going to happen when this life is over and how blessed and how glorious and how magnificent that life will be because of what Jesus has done and because of his resurrection from the dead. It's a horrible thing to contemplate what if the doctrine of the resurrection is not true. But it is a glorious thing when you think about how God has provided a way in Christ for you and me to be with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been studying God's word and you realize that you're lost. And you realize that if the resurrection day was today, if this was the last day, that you'd be lost before God. Why not make a change? Humble yourself. Believe in Jesus Christ because he's the key. Jesus came to save you, and if you put your faith and trust in him, and if you confess that he is the Son of God, and if you repent of your sin, and if you're baptized, you connect with him, you come into a relationship with him. Baptism is called the new birth, John chapter 3, verse 5. Maybe you need to be born again today. That's how you do it. Maybe you need to respond and ask for prayers. Whatever your need is, won't you come while together we stand and sing this song of invitation?